Hello and welcome back to the College Baseball Central podcast. I'm your host, Joe Healy, publisher and editor of collegebaseballcentral.com. Today we're going to be joined by Craig Stevenson of AL.com and 105.5 WNSP to talk some South Alabama baseball. Uh, the Jags were a program that was disappointed to miss out on the postseason in 2018. There was a lot of optimism for the team going into the 2018 season, and Craig and I talked about that on this very podcast uh, prior to the uh, two last season beginning, and due in large part to injuries and some other things along the way, um, you know, they weren't able to live up to that expectation. So a little bit of a disappointing season in that regard. Uh, so we'll talk about how that came to be. We'll also spin it forward and take a look at 2019 talk about the path forward for South Alabama to get back into the postseason mix. And then, of course, we will wrap up, as we always do, with our local food recommendation segment. Uh, Craig is going to give us some fantastic recommendations for the Mobile, Alabama area. A lot of stuff to get into with Craig. Let's jump right in. All right. As promised, we are joined by Craig Stevenson, covers South Alabama for AL.com and is the co-host of Sports Drive on 105.5 WNSP. We're going to talk South Alabama Jags baseball uh, coming off of a 2018 season that, um, yeah, it'd be too harsh to call it a tough season, but uh, maybe one that fell a little bit short of expectation. Uh, talked to Craig before the 2018 season. There was a lot of optimism around the program, and understandably so. Um, and things just because of injuries or because of inconsistency, and we'll get into this with Craig, but because of a handful of things, it seemed like maybe they just never quite got on track and didn't quite live up to some of that expectation. So we'll talk about why that was, and we'll also spin it forward a little bit and talk about the 2019 team. It's a, a team with some turnover, uh, most notably guys like Travis Swaggerty, obviously off in pro ball now, but there are a handful of others, so we'll get into that as well. A lot of stuff to get into with Craig. Let's jump right in. Craig, I appreciate you joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Good to talk to you. Like I said in the open, you know, it might be harsh to call it a tough season. I mean, you know, I think it was 32-25 and 18-11 in the Sun Belt. And 18-11 in the Sun Belt gets you, you know, right in the postseason discussion more often than not. But I just kind of felt like maybe because of some of the injuries before the season or or maybe just some guys didn't step into roles that maybe uh, they thought they would. For one reason or another, it just felt like maybe it was a little bit short of expectation. Would you, do you feel like that's kind of a fair assessment of the season that was? Oh, no. no. I mean, it's not harsh at all to call it a pretty – big disappointment to be honest with you now it's and not to say that it was the fault of anybody in particular but that team was you know they even with uh you know some of the injuries in the preseason they were still ranked in the top 15 after the first couple of weeks of the season and then things kind of fell apart uh the injuries though you can't get past that when you lose a three-year starter drew the bounty to a, a career ending injury before the season even starts uh he you know took a foul tip in the eye and was out for the year um, Colton Thomas, your uh, number two hole hitter, got injured in, uh, about a week before the season started and did not play at all. Eddie Paparelli, your probably best right-handed power hitter, um, was out for the year with an elbow injury, suffered over the summer. So, uh, And then they lost pitcher after pitcher as the season kind of went along. So I think that's the biggest part of it. Some other guys that were on the team they were depending on to really take a step forward maybe didn't do that. And it, and it resulted in what was a disappointing finish because at the very least you figured that team was going to be in a regional if not make a real run. So, yeah, that that when you considered the talent that was on that team and a lot of those guys are in pro ball now with Travis Swaggerty and Brendan Donovan, Dylan Hardy, um, it's a missed opportunity. There's no two ways about it. Did you feel like maybe the at, at the risk of reading too much into one particular moment in time? was maybe that Texas Tech series kind of a moment where you were kind of stepped back and thought that, you know, maybe this isn't going to be maybe quite the season that 
that they expected, not because they thought maybe they'd go in and win that series against a team that ended up in Omaha, and we knew how good that team was, but the fact that they got swept and, and a few of the games weren't really all that competitive, was that maybe kind of a sign of things to come in your mind at the time? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, like you said, they went out there and lost four in a row, and only one of the games was really all that close. Um, and then, um, you know, a couple of other games, when they lost a home series, um, and I'm trying to find it on my sheet here. I mean, they lost to, they lost Coastal Carolina. They were competitive the first two games and lost 12 nothing in the Sunday game. But they, they lost uh, a home series to a not very good Arkansas State team. And when that happened, you started to realize this team's going to struggle to make the postseason, and obviously they did not. So, yeah, a lot of things. There were some real warning signs, as you mentioned, early in the year. But even once they got to conference play, they had a chance to kind of take care of business, and they did not. And, um, again, it's just uh, this is a year they had been pointing to for a couple of years, and it just didn't work out for them. On a positive note, it was another uh, fantastic season for Travis Swaggerty, and he's been an interesting guy to watch over his career just because he seems to add something to his game uh, every time around at every turn. And, and last year when he was very clearly the guy that other teams were keying in on, um, you know, that sometimes guys struggle in that situation because they try to do too much or because they're not willing to take their walks. But, you know, he, he had a career high in walks, for example. So uh, what made him such a special player? And I imagine that he has to be right among the top of, of the South Alabama greats that, that you've had the opportunity to cover in your time there. Yeah, I would say of this era, he's definitely the best player uh, I've seen. You know, you go back in history, and they, they've had some all-time greats, Luis Gonzalez being number one, but even Lance Johnson and David Freeze, guys that had, you know, a decade or more in the in the major leagues. So, but of the, you know, the since Freeze, he's definitely the best player to come through this program. And uh, he kind of, he did it all, really. He had good power, could really run, played very, very good defense with an excellent arm and drew a lot of walks. I mean, even from his freshman year, uh, he was one of the, you know, it's kind of something that Mark Kelby really stresses and recruits those kind of guys. But Swaggerty was a guy that did that better than most. And they ended up, they started him in the three hole, um, you know, because he was their best hitter, but they ended up having to move him to the leadoff spot. So he would get pitches to hit because some other guys weren't really pulling their weight on in the lineup. And he, again, he had a really, really good year. Um, there were some moments you would have uh, uh, could have come through where he necess- didn't necessarily do it, but I think it was because he was being pitched around all year. And then, of course, he goes in the top ten of the draft and uh, had a really solid first year of pro ball as well. Before last season, you t- you talked about the fact that the biggest key for that team was probably going to be kind of pitching roles coming into focus. Injuries aside, to what extent did the 2018 team do that and kind of find roles for guys on the pitching staff? Yeah, it was hard to say because, as you mentioned, every time it seemed like they got somebody that looked solid um, in a role, they would get hurt. Uh, Zach Green was probably the main guy that kind of hung in there all year long and ended up being their closer. And uh, they used him kind of as a stopper, really. He didn't just pitch the ninth. He would pitch seventh, eighth, ninth, sometimes come in the fourth inning. Um, And he ended up being a 15th-round pick and ended up coming back. So that was a big boost to him. But you know, so many other guys, Andy Arguelles, who started the year as their number one, got hurt and is, was out for the year. And he's probably, uh, they're not really counting on him coming back, um, uh, you know, this year. They they just, it just never seemed like they could count on anybody to be, you know, consistent in a role because somebody got hurt every time it happened, it seemed like. 
So if we flip it forward a little bit and you start to look at what they've got coming back in, in 2019 from an offensive perspective, uh, you know, that there are some holes to fill there. I mean, Swaggerty's obviously a big guy, but then obviously with Drew LeBounty's career-ending injury, he's a guy maybe in a normal injury situation you'd get back, but they don't have that um, luxury. Um, is it safe to say, at least on paper right now, that it, the offense maybe early on until other guys emerge is kind of going to go as well as Davis goes? Yeah, the first, the uh, senior first baseman, um, you know, probably their best overall hitter. Uh, I would put Carter Perkins, the uh, senior catcher as well, probably in that mix. Uh, they're both left-handed hitters, uh, and they'll probably hit three, four, four, five in the lineup to start the year. A couple other guys I mentioned earlier, Eddie Paparella and Colton Thomas, who were injured uh, in the preseason last year, probably uh, are, are are back. Uh, I would guess would either one will be the left fielder and one will be the right fielder or one, maybe one will be the DH. So those, those are two. Um, they're looking for uh, Michael Sandel, who played quite a bit as a freshman last year as the starting right fielder to improve. And it's possible he moves to center field uh, to take over for Swaggerty. Hunter Stokes is another guy who's a junior uh, plays second base. Uh, he's a returning starter. And then uh, they're real. There are three freshmen. They're really excited about uh, Santiago Montiel at shortstop, Caleb De La Torre at third base, and then Ethan Wilson, uh, freshman right fielder out of Andalusia High School, was a high school quarterback. Um, he probably would have been drafted in the top ten rounds if he had said he was going. He wanted to turn pro, but he was determined to come to college, and I think he's you know got a good chance to either start in right field and maybe develop as the successor to uh, Swaggerty long term in center. Let's talk a little bit about the rotation because it, it feels like maybe that's going to be another situation uh, where they're going to have to maybe mix and match a little bit, find some pieces in in, uh, in spring practice, and, and kind of figure out who their guys on the rotation. Do, do, are there any contenders that stand out to you that are going to get what you perceive to be first crack at those spots in the weekend? Yeah, I, you know, again, Arguelles was a guy that they were really hoping would emerge as a number one, but I don't know that they're counting on him after elbow surgery. There's a few guys back, Noah Michael, Tyler Perez, Patrick McBride, who kind of who had some moments last year, uh, and then there's uh, two junior college guys that have come in: uh, Drake Nightingale out of Pearl River, actually three junior college guys, and then Hunter Phillips and Jace Dalton. Uh, those three will be in the mix, and then Zach Young, who's another freshman um, out of Florida, who was a, another guy that was a contender to be drafted, but ended up not being drafted and is here now. So. I don't know that there's a, a, a certain number one, but it's going to be among that group of six or seven guys. The, that's where it's going to come from. Again, Zach Green's going to be in the bullpen, and Connor Lambert, uh, who also was in the bullpen last year, they have a pretty good one-two out there. But with uh, the rotation, it's going to be a mix-and-match uh, situation, at least to start out. So then let's let's play a little bit of pretend. Let's, let me... Let me say that I tell you after the season, South Alabama makes a regional, you know, that they play well in the Sun Belt, they get in as an at-large team, you know, or they win the automatic bid, but they were clearly at-large quality. They're, they're one of the best teams uh, in the country deserving of an at-large bid. Um, if you were to kind of reverse engineer the season and, and think about why that was, why would you, what would be your best guess as to how that happened? What went right for the team to get back into the postseason mix? I think one of the newcomers in the starting rotation is probably going to have to pitch at an all-conference level, you know, whoever that is. Uh, Nightingale probably looks like the best bet for that right now. Uh, and then uh, Wells Davis, Carter Perkins are going to have to play, you know, continue to play really well, get back to maybe where they were in 2017, uh, excuse me, 
And then uh, Paparella and Colton Thomas are going to have to come back healthy and be the hitters they were at the end of that 2017 season. So I would say uh, it's going to take all, you know, all of that, but they're going to really need a couple of guys on the pitching staff to emerge and be stalwarts like they've had in the past with, uh, you know, the Kevin Hills of the world and people like that. So finally, we'll wrap up with uh, my favorite segment. Uh, it's the, the food recommendation segment as I continue to build out my list of recommended restaurants all across the country uh, in a very selfish uh-huh. manner. Uh, so we're going to talk about mobile area food recommendations. Uh, so I'll give uh, Craig the introduction I give all of my guests, which is let's, uh, let's throw logistics out the window. Let's assume that you know a listener could, they could get a table at any restaurant. They don't have to worry about, well, you got to get to this place at a certain time because they have wonky hours or it's a barbecue joint where they serve until they run out of food. Like, let's just throw all that out the window. Assume that logistics are, are not a problem. Where would you recommend uh, someone get a bite to eat? Should they be in the mobile area? Yeah, here it's got to be seafood. I mean, there are so many great seafood places here. Uh, you know, shrimp and oysters and fish and, uh, all, uh, Wetzel's Oyster House is probably the most famous place. There are two locations here in Mobile, one downtown and one, uh, out in West Mobile. Um, and then out on the causeway between Mobile and Daphne, several great seafood places. Felix's Fish Camp, Bluegill, Original Oyster House, uh, Craver Seafood, which has one spot in Mobile and one over in Daphne. So that's where you got to go. Uh, any of those would be fantastic, but... Um, you know, just make sure you get some seafood when you're here in Mobile. Yeah, I'm certainly biased having grown up on the Gulf Coast, but, uh, you know, living up in the Midwest now, I, I run into more people who um, don't care for seafood just as a genre. And I, and I, I've kind of wondered aloud if, if maybe that's just an, uh, a situation where if, you know, if you grew up up here in the Midwest, you probably didn't have access to fresh seafood in the same way that I did. And um, I think that kind of makes uh, makes a difference. I mean, certainly there are some people who just don't like it, you know, um, just don't like seafood and that's fine. But sometimes I wonder if it's just, they just haven't had the opportunity to have truly fresh, really good seafood. Like I was lucky enough to have, uh, growing up in the Gulf coast. So certainly, uh, down in Mobile, I think that's, that's probably the case as well. I think that's totally true. I lived for a long time up in North Alabama and I didn't care for the seafood up there either. You know, you gotta get it, you gotta get the fresh stuff down on the coast and we kind of take it for granted down here, but I'm one of those people I could eat shrimp every day. So you're not going to get me to, uh, turn my nose up at it. I'm with you there. Yeah. I, yeah. Big on seafood. And, and I, like I said, was lucky enough to kind of have access to it living on the, living on the Gulf coast. And, and here you just, I mean, you really just don't have the opportunity though, either. You've got the chain seafood restaurants, yeah. but you, you don't have the local seafood places up here. And I think that's really what, what kind of makes the difference there. So I'm, I'm totally with you. So, uh, fantastic food recommendations for the, for the mobile area, really kind of a, a, just a pretty area in general. I'm a, I'm again, I'm biased, but I'm a big fan of the Gulf coast and, and that area of Alabama really pretty as well. So, uh, go down there and, and get you some seafood and enjoy the scenery. And, uh, I want to thank our guest Craig Stevenson for joining us today. Once again, he covers South Alabama for AL.com and can be heard as the co-host of sports drive on 105.5 WNSP. Uh, Craig, I really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Joe. Great to talk to you. Our thanks once again to Craig Stevenson for joining us today. Once again, check out all of Craig's work at AL.com, and you can hear him on 105.5 WNSP. And you can follow him on Twitter at Craig Stevenson. That's at Craig Stevenson, C-R-E-G-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N, at Craig Stevenson on Twitter. That'll do it for this edition of the College Baseball Central Podcast. 
Head on over to collegebaseballcentral.com for all of our continuing coverage of the college baseball offseason. For one, that means a whole lot more podcasts coming your way. We're going to take you all the way up to opening day of the 2019 season. Uh, We'll also have features up on the site from time to time, so be sure to check those out if you have not already. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeOnSports. That's Joe underscore on underscore sports. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. And no matter where you listen to our show first, be sure you're subscribed and do so if you aren't already. But also consider leaving us a rating and review. As we continue to try to grow the show, your positive ratings and reviews are crucial as we try to climb those recommended podcast lists. Finally, you can get in touch with the show via email at collegebaseballcentralpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's collegebaseballcentralpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, everyone.